This is Coda Radio, episode 525, for July 3rd? Hey friend, welcome in to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us from his new dynamic location, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Ah, good day, you bastards and your dirty, dirty lasses. Did you move to Ireland? (laughs) I, I'm here from Ireland to help our American cousins. You know, they get yellow the night before to help them fight those limey Brits tomorrow. You know what they got to do, stop drinking so much. That's what they got to do. I, they have to start drinking more Guinness and less Bud Light. We don't like Bud Light in Ireland. Oh, you don't, you know what? The the most of the accent, not very good. But when you say Bud Light, I feel like you nail it. <laughs> that, it's almost as if there's another your, reason I. It's your power stroke right there. <laughs> that's my. Yeah, that is my uh, special move. Yeah. Yeah. Now, another week, another Twitter death watch is going on right now. It's funny how these happen, right? I, every time a big story breaks, I swear I see 100 people say, well, Twitter's dead. I'm leaving it. And maybe slowly but surely it's it's happening. Uh, a self-caused bug as we go on the air has been DDoSing Twitter itself. And uh, Elon has been announcing different rate limits for verified and unverified accounts to attempt to try to get a handle on it, I guess, probably to get the infrastructure back under control no. because it's a monster. Um, and uh, it seems that around the same time, their contract with Google Cloud has wrapped up. And so perhaps they were transitioning to their own infrastructure and then something went wrong or the demand was just way beyond what they expected because of whatever this, you know, this problem is. It's, it is an embarrassing one. It is definitely, there's this news service I have that sends me all these feeds and and one of the ways it categorizes things is by technology brands. And then they have online brands, top online brands. And I went and clicked on that category this morning just to see what do they categorize. The entire thing was just a bunch of shit posts about how awful Twitter is. Like all these different media outlets writing about how Twitter's dead. It's the end days. I mean, uh, so I just had to document it for the show, I suppose. It's been a, the whole thing since the Elon brought the kitchen sink into the building has been, it's just been an absolute wreck. Yeah, so I have a a bit of a hot take, but I think you should uh, read uh, Kareem Carr's uh, uh, commentary on this. Because it, it's definitely the, I think, an opposite take. Uh, so this was on Twitter, of course. Uh, and she writes, rate limiting starts today. Their cloud contract that they seem to be having trouble paying ends. It can't be a coincidence, right? Twitter might be much closer to dying than most of us realize. So I'm not sure how much I believe this, right? Um, I do think that maybe some of this uh, rate limiting like Elon's come out and said it's bots scraping for uh, natural language processing bots. You know, Elon says lots of things, including about Australian scuba divers being pedophiles that turn out to not be true. But in this case, I, you know, as someone who has been railing against the difficulties of monetizing software since 2012, I find the tech press is just outhand dismissing his concerns. Uh, a little kind of, you know, if it wasn't Elon, would they take this more seriously? Right. Right. If, if Sam Altman said we're shutting down 
uh, chat chippity for a bit because some bot has been slamming it. Well, if like the democratic version of me, seriously, right? An independent, if DHH, right? Let's take a darling or, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think that he's wrong. I, I do think that he's just changing the business model of Twitter and, you know, there, there's so much here. And I know you didn't mean this as a topic, but, you know, I wrote client apps for big services, GitHub being the biggest one, the most successful one. And yeah, they change the rules all the time, right? They, they go out, your users want to start you. It's terrible. Um, why does GitHub change the rule? Well, because they want to lock you into their ecosystem and make more money. Why is Twitter changing the rules? Because they want to lock you in the ecosystem and make more money. But I think it's more radical than that in this case because Elon has realized or believes, it hasn't been proven yet, that the customer of Twitter is not the advertisers, right? The, uh, the new CEO is basically a stopgap. The customer is AI companies wanting to buy a bunch of user sentiment data. And this matches with his uh, crusade against bots. It makes sense if you have a bunch of human data that you can train, uh, you know, large natural learning language learning models off of. That might be a better business than selling ads for Nike sneakers, for example. So if he can increase the signal and make sure that what's on there is mostly verified humans, then it makes the data more valuable to these companies that might want to buy up sentiment information and things like that. Well, and we haven't talked about it a ton, but Reddit is doing effectively the same thing, right? Yeah, I think, see, the way I, I, I also can kind of see where you're coming from. I think it is a strategy to monetize these APIs, but I kind of zoom out a little bit further and I go to our favorite theme for the whole tech industry. And I think all of this including the stuff we're about to talk about with Red Hat and their changes, all of this is because the tech industry has shifted from the easy money policies to the value policies now. Everything's got to make money now. Exactly. No, every, we all have to grow up now and actually make money. Right? This is something you and I have been preaching about for, honestly, we're like the John the Baptists of this. Right now, yes, we. I know. In fact, very much so. We were a year early on it. And the right now, that's why the web feels like it sucks more than ever. I've heard people talking about this a lot. I'm like, geez, it really feels like the web's just going to crap. This is why. These are the changes that it's your that the ground rules have changed. The playing field has literally changed. Right? It, it was sunny and it was gorgeous weather. Now the game's being played in the middle of winter and it's pouring like a son of a gun. Right? And it's like it's a totally different game field now. And that's why Red Hat's making changes. That's why Twitter has made all these changes. That's why Reddit's making changes. And AI obviously is a big part of this too, but they have an opportunity here to open up a new revenue stream and they're slobbering at the mouth to get all over it. Can I be as spicy and hot as a Gungan Bomba best? Yes, that's my favorite. I think this is possibly healthy, right? It's time for us techies uh, and the tech industry, not us, because people listen to the show, I think, get it. But the tech industry as a whole, to realize you're in a business, you need to make money. Losing money forever is just an untenable business model. I mean, I, we've been saying this since 2012, but you have to make money. Like Elon's got a lot of weird shit going on, but I don't think he's crazy in this case. I do think he's right that the Twitter data is valuable to these natural language model builders. And 
they're going to pay more than the advertisers, given the cultural climate right now, who Elon's effectively made himself toxic. So, yeah, but it's it's not just about Elon, right? It's I have one IPO season is about to start again within the next six months. We're going to see attempted IPOs, and I'm curious how many of them are going to go through and fail. I hope they succeed. But I think the next generation of startups, you know, I got, I, we, I told a story a month ago where I got laughed out of a room because I talked about revenue and profit projections to a VC. Right now, I could do that, and that would be a positive conversation. The days of infinite growth, lose all the money, you know, I mean, this is my little pet peeve, but WeWork took out the beer. No more alcohol yeah. at WeWork. Right. That's a bad sign. Here's, yeah. I want to reframe it because I don't think people are getting it and it makes me frustrated. Uh, the, all the, like a lot of the goodies we got, all the free things, all the stuff that never quite made sense, but tech companies did it anyways, or there was perk or it was something they published. All that stuff is up for grabs right now. And the longer like we're in this mode, the longer the investors are in this mode and the board is in this mode and the management is in this mode and inevitably, which that trickles down into the culture. As long as this is the focus, these things will begin to dry up. All these nice little goodies and all these companies that couldn't do it for free. You know, oh, 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 and you know, here's why it really makes me frustrated, Mike. Is because now they finally are going to have to play on the same playing field that the small business types have. Exactly. Had to They're going to have to have a PNL. You could small businesses can only afford to do what they can afford. Like they can't, they can't just do like, yeah, anybody can have access to the API. Have had it, Haas. Unlimited bandwidth. Go for it. Build an entire business. Yes, you want to clone all of our source code for our commercial product? Here, we'll debrand it for you. They can't do that anymore. It it never made sense. It was money sickness, and that's why the nice things are going away. And no, it's not us getting old and with lower backs hurting KTO. That's very funny. I mean, sometimes it is that. But this is really, it is shifting. And it's not, a, it's not an overnight thing. It'll be a transition. And at some point, it'll reverse itself. And, you know, that's just a cycle. Well, of, co- of course. I mean, the industry will relapse eventually. Right. But I'm going to push back on that. I don't think the nice things go away. I, in fact, think that right now we're in the shitty phase where the cow manure is being put I spent too much time in Plant City, a real place for folks not in, the, in Florida, where it's just cow manure being laid and it smells like, well, you know, what you think it smells like. But you know what? Startups and viable startups, right? Like real small businesses will bloom in this that actually provide value and recoup value. They don't just live on drunk investor money. Uh, will rise, and then we'll go through another crazy phase of consolidation. I mean, it's the big boys aren't going anywhere, but it, you know, Google, like all these old companies, like had an idea of how to make money, and you know, we can say Netscape is the first that IPO'd without making a profit. It's true, but the insane that has been getting funded by VCs in the last. I don't know, what would you call it, Chris, from like 20, 2013 to... Yeah, for sure. To 2020 or to, or to 2018? Probably slow. I mean, it was probably slow burning before that. But man, I can think of in the back of my mind, just like thinking of previous clients I've had and whatnot that I consulted for. 
uh, yeah, that 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 sinks right up when the money really started coming in. And it was like you just needed to be really good at selling the business and, you know, get the right numbers and you got the financing. I mean, not to sound like Jim Cramer, although I have no idea what he thinks of this, but I, I, I used to listen to a show. This is a healthy correction, right? The pigs are getting slaughtered. And well, they should. These corrupt, I, I know you love Bitcoin and I think Bitcoin will survive. But, you know, John Coyne, Jack Coyne, Richard Coyne. I mean, come on. It's bad. It's bad. Well, they're being taken to the cleaners right now, right? The SEC is going after the casino exchanges and uh, they're going after many of those Web3 tokens that were really just securities that were, you know, pretending to be decentralized. And you're right. The, fu- the funny thing is, is now that now that the sheriff is in town and he's cleaning things up, BlackRock, Fidelity, and a dozen other ginormous financial institutions have all filed in the last two weeks for a Bitcoin spot ETF. So the the it's exactly like I said a year ago. Fancy that the the crap coins are getting washed out, and then what gets what's left standing, uh, the big institutions are going to come in and start selling them like stocks, which is what they are. They're securities. Right? Yeah. The only one that out of that group isn't would be Bitcoin, which is a commodity, but they can sell that as an ETF so they can still put it on the market. <laughs> so it's all and it's all going to be the big guys making money. That's what's that's what's going to happen now. So I would separate the coin slash Web3. I know it's bigger than that, but the from the regular tech industry, I don't know. You know more about that coin stuff than I do. But I feel like the startup tech space, the small business, like I want to make money selling my software is actually going to suffer. But in two, three years, it's going to be much healthier. Unless you're an AI business, the AI businesses are getting funded uh, like, the, like, the, like, like the crypto businesses. Uh, used, used a to lot of them are bullshit too, right? So. I know. It's just, it's like even in this time, the, the, the VC DGENs can't, can't help themselves. They're still aping into any business that labels themselves as AI. I, it's, I, I mean... Alice.ai, but, I'm registering it right after. Yeah, I know, right? right? Like, seriously, seriously, dude. Money. I don't but know. Outside, I know, right? Outside of that, though, it's like, it's a money wasteland. We, we've got, we've gotten several emails now from guys running shops. They're like, there's, we got a couple of months of runway, you know? <sighs> yeah, I know. I saw them too. It's, this, this is a tough time, but you, you, you can't have Uber for like anything, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like things were too wild like the, the fact that sam bankman freed played fortnite or league of legends i apologize I'm whatever game, whatever right whatever and that made him a good investment <laughs> like i cannot tell you how pissed off i was it's so crazy. although i feel like i have several times well they're doing it again with altman i mean look he's created a chatbot that works 40 percent of the time no altman altman's playing the new game He's playing the, yeah, go ahead. We should move on. Yeah. Josh has the Uber of emails and, and this is back on the track with Rel. He says, oh, uh, do Rel. We, he wants to know with the recent news about Red Hat changing the open source policies for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, I decided to make the switch from Fedora, to Fedora with GNOME to OpenSUSE Tumbleweed with KDE. With CentOS's changes, the layoffs, and now this, it's clear IBM is running the show and I'm not a fan of the decisions being made. Do you see more people jumping ship from Red Hat to more open options. Thanks for all you guys do. Josh. Woo! Spicy That's you, man. Because here's the thing. I've heard it from multiple Red Hat insiders that, uh, and I was also uh, in an episode of Ask Noah when Mike McGraw was interviewed. 
They have stated multiple times that no staff from IBM have talked to them about the recent Red Hat rail source code changes uh, before or after that. It was a 100% internal Red Hat decision. And I, the reason I buy that is because the original CentOS changes when they can, when they switched to CentOS stream were an internal Red Hat decision because there has always been enormous conflict within Red Hat about the fact that they're giving away their commercial product for free and they undercut their own sales. And then, you know, any Joe contractor like myself can come in and sell support services for a CentOS box and undercut RHEL's very expensive support subscription. And it has been a massive pain point for Red Hat sales for a long time. So two years ago, they switched to the CentOS stream model where they stopped making an exact clone on their own and just released an ongoing updates of RHEL upstream and stream. Then, when that change occurred, two clone makers came along, Alma and Rocky Linux, both with their own approaches, one that I prefer more than the other. And with this change the Red Hat has recently made, what they have stopped doing is they have stopped publicly posting for general consumption the built source RPMs for RHEL, where they have debranded them and gone through with their legal comb and removed any kind of liability stuff that they're not allowed to ship, and a few other things, um, as well as made it really obvious where RHEL branches off from CentOS stream and things like that. They've, they've stopped just producing that for general public, for the clone makers to then just go rebrand with a script that runs overnight and then go sell a support contract that, you know, is a third of the cost of Red Hat and undercuts them. There were just a few weeks ago was news that NASA, for a small number of systems, decided to go with Rocky Linux. They had CentOS on those systems. They needed to upgrade to something else, and they chose Rocky Linux because they could get exact Red Hat, but they could get it for a third of the cost. And Red Hat said, that just doesn't work for us anymore. We don't have, there's really no value for us to just give these, to, to you know, go through and debrand all this stuff, build all this stuff, and then publish the RPMs for it so that way you can just take them and run a bash script against it and insert your own logo and then undercut us on sales. They just don't see value in that. Now, does that mean Red Hat is no longer open source or not the more open option as you implied in your email, Josh? That's a ludicrous statement. Hardly any company contributes to open source at the scale that Red Hat does. And there's so many things that you'll be even using on your OpenSUSE Tumbleweed Plasma setup that are only there because Red Hat built them, even on your SUSE box or you over there on Ubuntu. If you're using Pipewire, you can thank Red Hat. If you're using Systemd, you can thank Red Hat. If you use the Linux kernel, you can thank Red Hat because numerous contributions come from Red Hat. Any of the major security issues that have happened the last 15 years that have required organization across vendors and free software developers, you can thank Red Hat. I mean, the number of projects that Red Hat contributes to is so vast that even after following them for literally the entire run of the company, I couldn't name them all to you. And I couldn't even tell you where to go find them all. So, it's, of course, they're open. And CentOS Stream remains, remains completely open. And, the, and the, the reality is very, 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 very few use cases absolutely mandatorily require RHEL and you don't need to pay for it. If you're running it in production and it's absolutely critical that you have Red Hat specific code for your application or whatever it is, 98% of the times you should probably be paying for it. And if you don't need that exact version, that exact specific compatibility, throw in a container, throw in the VM and run it on anything you want. In fact, Red Hat makes the universal base image freely available. It has 
actual legit RHEL source in there, RHEL packages. You can target specific versions of RHEL in these UBI images, and you can publish your application in that UBI image. It's a RHEL environment that's containerized that can run on any Linux distribution. And if you run it on RHEL, you get commercial support. So what we did, instead of solving the software distribution problem for Red Hat Linux, when they announced the CentOS stream transition two years ago, all the software vendors and all the IT admins out there, all the sys admins out there that didn't push hard enough for this change, this is on you. You didn't push hard enough for this change and you just kicked the can and you used the status quo and you took a clone maker software who you know is a parasitic in this relationship. You know they're parasitic in this relationship on the whole. You took their clone and you kicked the can instead of solving the problem and freeing yourself up from any vendor lock-in. And now here you are two years later when the inevitable obvious thing happened and Red Hat decided, hey, you know that change we made so that way we weren't undercutting ourselves with our own CentOS? Well, we just made two competitors and one of them has a very aggressive sales department that constantly throws us under the bus. So maybe we should do something about this problem we've made ourselves because it's much worse than the original problem. So it clearly could not sustain. And if you're dependent on this stuff, if you're dependent on this software for your production environment and you're not watching this, then you're not listening to enough of my shows. Number one, because I would have told you this is coming two years ago. And number two, you didn't do the legwork to prevent this vendor lock in that puts you in this very position right now because you accepted the status quo from a clone maker. So inevitably, it is your own fault. That's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. You're, you're definitely tough on that, but... Um... I'm just sick of it. I'm so sick of like the red hat is no longer open source and Red Hat screwing the users. It's it's so over the top. This is a commercial product, right? This is their big money maker. Well, this this I mean, not to link it back, but you know, our never ending theme of the people making software have to make money. We live in a capitalistic society. You have to have money to live. Sorry, it it sucks, but you know, Red Hat sold out to IBM because of money. Red Hat charged for services because of money. They made OpenShift because of money, right? Like it's, they're a business, they're people, they need money, they did it for money. Maybe I'm a little simplistic here. I'm sure I am. Yeah, I get, the reason why I get worked up about it is uh, I don't, I don't really understand how people, one of the comments I actually saw is Red Hat, stop being a capitalistic company. Stop being capitalist, Red Hat. And I, I just I'm I'm dumbfounded by that sentiment because I don't understand how you get any of the things Red Hat produces without this arrangement. And if you're really that dependent on them for your career, for your production, then you probably should be paying for them. Oh, you don't. Right. This this is the insanity of uh, Stallman. We should make those businesses fail, quote unquote. Right. It's unfortunately the market and frankly, society has decided that software that is not properly supported in one way or the other. Hell, the Linux kernel. I remember what Linux.com or Linux.org used to be and what it is now. In particular, Linux.com, right? The Linux Foundation, I would say, has changed quite a bit. All to generate money. I mean, is that too spicy, Chris? Or I agree completely. And I'm not saying I I'm not even saying I like this stuff. I would rather have the source RPMs available. Oh, it's you don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. It's just these people need to make money and no one, you know, uh, guys, you can't ask these people to work their ass off for nothing for a couple, you know, data boys on a 
mailing list. And, and in this case, it was maybe even at a cost, right? Because not only is there the cost to maintain the system, obviously, and the staffing cost, but then there's the sales opportunity cost here. I mean, every Rocky support contract sale or Alma, Alma you know, installation is a potential rel installation or support contract. Uh, I mean, I just don't like I, I've been I've been really struggling since this news broke, trying to think of an analogy in the business world where something like this happens. Like you don't have just like you don't have this in the car manufacturing world. You don't have this in the PC manufacturing world where somebody takes their commercial money making product that the entire business and like all like 25, 30,000 staff are employed by and they take that exact product. They remove all of their branding from it. And then they make it available for free. Like sometimes you'll see companies that like rebrand stuff and sell it as like a cheaper brand thing for different demographic. But that's not what's happening here. But that's your mistake. This is the business world, right? Whether we like it or not, software is not some, it's not the new thing it used to be, even when we started the show. And it wasn't even that new back then. It is now a pure part of the standard business toolkit. And it has, if you want to be successful, it has to abide by the same rules of that. And I, I would argue that a lot of the open source volunteers that Tiny is talking about in the chat, then he's making great comments, and I mean that sincerely, got ripped off. I mean, look at my my personal favorite, Docker. Amazon's made a lot of cash on Docker. And what did Docker do? Well, they corporated it up and they started doing enterprise things and making deals on their own. Otherwise, Amazon would have ate their launch, their launch AWS, right? With their Docker solution. Yeah. Red Hat. I kind of think Red Hat should have been more aggressive years ago. My problem with Red Hat is they let themselves get sold to IBM. Had they been a little less uh, altruistic and a little less idealistic years ago, they could have clamped down gotten rid of sentinel oh that's an interesting thought experiment uh, yeah see my thing is they're not hard enough uh-huh and if they had gone harder sooner perhaps they'd be buying ibm they would still be independent um, i i'm more concerned and I, I we all know i'm not a you know free software idealist i in fact don't care i like open source i'm not a big free software guy i am a guy who thinks competition's good and the fact that all these companies have a you know red hat is now a division of ibm and, and, you know, a lot of companies, I mean, I could go down the list, but we've done it before, have been bought up by the big boys. And it seems to be the more idealistic companies that frankly get pillaged first. So maybe, I mean, this is a business. This is not a charity. This is not a social movement. RMS doesn't get invited to conferences very much anymore, does he? Not that I've seen. And I know there's other reasons for that, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, Amazon yeah. and Microsoft is the top contributor to the Linux kernel fund, as far as I know, right? It's Amazon and I'm sorry, Microsoft and then Amazon. So we need to face reality. And if we want strong independent businesses, they need to make money. Yeah. Or if this stuff bothers you, then you should have migrated to a different platform. Well, if it bothers you, then there are community distros available to you. You've been happy with SUSE, right? I mean, this... Oh, I've been happy with SUSE proper, but I pay for it. But that's for regulatory reasons. And they make a ton of money on that. I've been thrilled with Nix OS. I think it makes a fantastic safe server OS. Um, I love it. You know, it's a lot of people have software requirements. And I think that's 
when the news first came out, the week the news about the CentOS change came out, that was when you engage with your vendor and tell them that you were going to need them to start packaging it differently. And if we all had done it, we wouldn't be in this position now. And that's why I'm frustrated. And then what I see is a bunch of people blaming Red Hat for it. And it just makes me angry. And I see some people that are just outrage farming. They're just tweet after tweet and YouTube videos and all this stuff to just outrage farm on this. If, if I wanted to dunk on Red Hat, I would say their OpenShift platform was always a little too, you know, I love you, but a little too Linux action showy for me. Oh, double dunk. It, double dunk. It needed to be more like Heroku <laughs> because they're, they're, the customers they needed were the guys on MacBook Airs or MacBook Pros doing like, you know, Python apps and Ruby apps and, you know, little Node apps that wanted a one-click, I don't want to know anything about Docker, I don't want to know how it works behind the scenes, just get, I'll point you to my GitHub and deploy it. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there right now to get a free personal account for up to 100 devices for the lifetime of the account. It's not a trial, you can get it for 100 devices with unlimited subnets, and it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out the best simple, secure VPN out there. It's built on WireGuard, and it creates a mesh network between all your machines. So they have a flat network with static IPs. One of the things that makes that really, really useful is now with all of my internal bookmarks and tooling and scripts, I refer to my tailscale IPs. doesn't matter what network I'm on. I can be tethered from my phone, and I can still use my tailscale IPs everywhere. And since I know the IPs, I've started adding them into DNS, and now I can just resolve them by name. And Tailscale is perfect for software developers who need to set up ad hoc networking and don't want to fuss with the firewalls and the subnets. It's also really useful for businesses that need to set up a VPN to access their internal networks. And you don't want to have to run a VPN server and have somebody manage the VPN. Uh, That can be a significant complication and expense. And Tailscale has a ton of vendor apps and services that it integrates with, too. I can't believe I've never mentioned this to you guys before. But there's an extension for Visual Studio Code. You can get the Tailscale extension and it lets you interact with resources in your Tailnet from VS Code. How awesome is that? And there's so many. There's also one for Docker, so you can just all your Docker containers. You can put it in your VMs, your mobile devices, your desktops. It just takes just seconds to get up and get going. It's so slick and smooth. One, here's another little trick, little pro tip. I have an iOS shortcut. Every time my wife puts her phone on the charger, it launches Tailscale in the background just to make sure everything's good and connected, make sure we have everything authenticated and all that kind of stuff. Just a nice little uh, quality of life thing that I've done. She doesn't even notice. And it works so smooth and consistently on Android. I can't even tell you, man. It's how I sync everything. It doesn't go over the public internet. And Tailscale makes it so easy to create secure networks between your servers or your devices that you'll find new ways to do networking that you never even really considered before you started using Tailscale. It's a fundamental tool and it comes with a bunch of great things like Taildrop that lets you send files, like sort of like AirDrop to your different Tailscale devices. And of course, Tailscale SSH, an easy to edit ACL screen and much more. So go try it out, support the show and get it for free for up to 100 devices. Go to Tailscale.com slash coder. That's Tailscale.com slash coder. Uh, if you noticed, the Coder show seemed like uh, the back end was a little bumpy. We're down on a spare tire this week, i.e. only one sponsor for this episode. But I did want to take a moment and thank our Coder QA contributors. Not only do you get the Coderly, the current Coderly, and all the previous ones in the feed, if you want to get the ad-free feed, or you can just download them, download them in the members area. But there's a nice little collection now. 
but it's a great way to support the show directly. CoderQA.co, or you can support all the shows at Jupiter.party, and you can set your own price over there. And also, you can boost into the show. Thank you, everybody who boosts in. You can boost in without even switching podcast apps. Get Albie at GetAlby.com. Then head on over and find us on the podcast index, and they'll have it embedded right there. Once you have Albie set up, it's just, boom, right in the web page. You boost right in. That supports the show directly, and a portion of your boost goes directly to Editor Drew to support him as well. And to help the podcasting Tudodo revolution, Fountain FM is in there, Podverse is in there, and the podcast index gets a little cut too. And we'll be reading the boosts coming up later in the show. So, multiple ways to support us directly, coderqa.co for that monthly membership or send in a boost. But moving on, Mr. Dominic, you have been continuing your adventures in Unreal 5, and I'm fascinated to hear how it's going. Yeah, so I've been working on a game called Path and Titan, uh, Path of Titans, rather, from Alderaan Games. They decided that they'd give somebody who knew Objective-C, because we still exist, Objective-C is a real language, and please send me your emails, I'm happy to get in a flame war at any time. Great game, though. It's a dinosaur simulation. But I got a MacBook Pro. So there's many things, right? It's an Unreal 5 game. It runs on the Switch, Xbox, I think the PS5, but iPad, iPhone, and Android. Unreal 5 just seems like a breakthrough and just beautiful, too. So that seems exciting. It's a beautiful game. Now, I'm sitting here with a 96 gigabyte RAM MacBook Pro. It's the Max, right? With all the cores? It was the Max when I bought it. I think now you could, yeah. I'm wishing I had gotten the Mac Studio for just a little more money. Oh, yeah? Not enough power? My compile times. Th- this is a full-on console game we're talking about, right? So, Yeah, that's got to be monstrous. What kind of compile times are you talking about? Uh, they're significant. <laughs> so if I pull down from SVN, send me your emails. But <laughs> So this is actually a good side note. The reason they use SVN is the assets, the 3D assets, do not really sit well in GitHub. So SVN just takes them as a whole and overwrites them. The problem is they're very big and they need to be, quote, cooked for each platform. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's a multi-build, it's a multi-step build process, baby. Uh Uh-huh. And I should say that Alderaan Games gave me permission to talk about this because they're actually, Chris, they're avid listeners of the show. Well, I love it. Yep. I'm going to do a little bit on this. Uh, they love us. We're great. Uh, they're great. But damn, nine, I thought, I, you know, and I didn't even listen to the dude. I'm like, 96 gigs. That's got to be enough, right? I was very, very wrong. <laughs> you think it's a RAM thing, not so much a CPU thing? You know, I, I can't open my email when it's building. Oh, man. It's sort of a go in the other room and talk to my wife or son and like I literally played a round of Yu-Gi-Oh! Speed Duel the other day while I while I did a full rebuild. So you know in my experience the M1 Max platform doesn't doesn't very often choke up like that. But if you were maxing out multiple subsystems at once, so CPU, disk, and GPU, especially like GPU, CPU, and disk, because so much of Mac OS is GPU accelerated, <laughs> just falls apart. It gets so bad. It just dies. Well I was hitting like 99% RAM usage in activity monitor. You know what you need to do clearly is get that you need to you, you need to pay the extra $3000 and get the Mac Pro tower and then load it up with PCIe storage. No, I'm gonna, I'm going to make it work on this one. It's fine for now. But oh. I definitely think next round when god, I hope it's 3 years. If this machine was way too expensive, I think I'm going to go to the studio 
I think the studio is the guy to get. Yeah, the studio does seem like the machine. Now, what about the monitors? Did you hear that there's a rumor that they're working on a new monitor that's going to have like an ambient sleep, low power thing? I knew it was going to happen because I, I just bought an Apple studio monitor. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love my Apple studio monitor. But yes, of course, the minute I bought it, they. Yeah. Yeah. The rumors started flowing. Yeah, so if you're looking if you're looking at the Mac Studio like the current version right now, let's like say you just took the high end, it starts at four thousand dollars. Well, this laptop was over five. Now, if you want the okay, if you want the M2 Ultra with all the cores, and you want it with a hundred and ninety two gigs of RAM, which is its max, and let's say two terabytes of storage, because uh, one terabyte is default, seven thousand dollars. Now, if you drop that storage back to a terabyte, okay. which doesn't seem like enough Can't if you're asking that. me, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So stick it. Yeah. So it's seven. It's a seven thousand dollar machine. <laughs> I already have. So I already have. That's why I said it's about two thousand more, right? I already have a terabyte full. I have the two terabytes on the MacBook Pro. I mean, it does a serviceable job. It's when I pull new assets, it just it's that the quote cooking part of the assets that kills it. Here's my thing, and I don't not just as, not to take you off track for too long, but it's like you're spending seven grand, and all you can do is run Mac OS on this thing. Yeah, but it's it's a tool. It's not a toy, right? I feel like if it's a tool, maybe I should be able to run whatever the hell I want on it. I just it just boggles my mind. Like Mac OS isn't worth seven thousand dollars. Like it's great on a three thousand dollar machine or a thousand dollar machine, but I just don't think like when you're spending seven grand on a machine. Right, well, if you're if you're going to spend seven and make a hundred writing Mac OS or I, iOS software, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get you. I get you. Yeah, it's clearly it's clearly you're just looking for a Mac only thing. It's just. A machine you can buy for a job, you can use it for that job for a while, but years down the road, when you're spending seven grand on a machine, maybe I want to repurpose that thing into like a file server or something, you know? It's, I mean, you used to be able to do that. Remember Mac server? Yeah, right. You could, and you could do it with Mac OS. I mean, I used to do that all the time with my old minis. I used to do it with my old minis. Yeah. Mac OS is more limited now. Yeah, it's true. I mean, but, you know, it's unfortunately, we're in, you know, we're in a place where you got to buy the tools for the job. Yeah. So back on to the to the topic of the game, though, are you are you doing this game in Objective C? Is that a thing? Uh, so what I have a, and I I hope they will agree with the statement. What I've been hired for is to write specific iOS integrations that are problematic in Objective C and sometimes Swift, but we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's almost all objectives. It's technically Objective C++ because, of course, the native language to Unreal is C++. But you can Objective C your little heart out as long as you're within a, uh, and this is going to go deep into the C, C++ programmer world, in that if def that says if def iOS, Mac OS, because Objective C doesn't exist on the other platforms. It should. Objective C should be everywhere, I think. I mean, I've been going to local churches, synagogues, and mosques trying to share the good news of Objective-C to them. <laughs> I did get stabbed, surprisingly, at the Baptist church. I don't believe you. You don't believe me. Of course not. But no, it's, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Objective-C. I don't want to go into too much details. I don't know how much I'm permitted to say, but a lot of, like, overriding stupid iOS browser stuff that is really stupid. What? No, the iOS internal browser system being dumb. What? Uh, but a problem that's a little more modern 
is one I think I think a lot of our audience would be interested in an ongoing segment about game development, right? Because as long as I don't get fired, it's a whole new world. When the compile time is longer than my dev time, <laughs> joking a little, but it's it's significant compile times. But the Swift and C story is really bad. Oh. Unreal tries to make it better, and the new version of Swift is making it better that they just announced. But it's, I mean, it's amazing how seamless and elegant Objective-C and, and C++ work together, which, of course, I've known for years because I've done it before. See, the challenge is there are some APIs on iOS that are Swift only. And when you think about the structure of a game like this, and I'm a novice at Unreal, so I could even be a little wrong here. But you have, you know, your iOS layer, you have the game layer, you have the Unreal Engine, you have uh, Alderaan, which is a company that makes the game. They have their own proprietary layer of basically logic, like a bunch of stuff underneath it. It's, it's tough to integrate this all. Mm-hmm. Not impossible, but it's hard. And there's a lot of edge cases. Uh, I'll give you a dumb example. I found a bug that only reproduced itself on my iPhone. And the reason I found it is when I moved, I asked the movers to pack my iPad, but it was in a box. They didn't know what it was. They thought it was like just something else. My iPad got shattered. Oh, no. That I was testing the game on. So I had to run it on my iPhone. And all of a sudden, I found all these rotation bugs. But literally rotation, like when you rotate the screen. Even in the debug logs, you're getting Unreal logs. You have to dig down to get to the native iOS stuff. And this would be the same if you were... In this. I mean, like I said, this game runs on Switch, it runs on the consoles. It, it's a challenge. It's just... It's a different kind of development. I think it'd be interesting to us all to, to keep going with it. I will say the one thing I would say positively for Unreal is they're very correct. They're very wise. I would say basically angelic embracement of Objective-C. <laughs> okay is not what i expect you to say i don't know why i should have you know what? it's just a better language it it does what it says and it now sometimes it doesn't say things like it's like what memory did you did you release that memory did you no objective c right it's like it's an old-timey prison exactly get your harmonica <laughs> get your tin cup <laughs> No, but I'm I'm gonna keep going on, uh, of course, with their permission. But this has been, uh, for instance, next month I'm basically working on uh, Path of Titans most of the time. I would say seventy percent of the time. So, Chris, uh, may your DMs get ready. Mm, I'm looking forward to yeah, it. It's gonna be tough. I think it'll be a good journey to follow. And uh, I'm also just really, really interested in the Unreal Five engine itself. I think it's just got so much potential. So I'm. Also following it from that, from like it's pretty. Yeah. I gotta say, it's. I, I got to see the editor. I got to play around. It's oh baby. I mean, I, I I would be willing to bet my hat that a lot of our audience is interested in game dev, as I am. I I've been doing something in Unity, and uh, uh, Mr. Matt from Alderaan is by showing me the Unreal tools. Is he's definitely shaken my faith. Yeah, I I can only imagine. Like especially by by the time we're in Unreal Seven or Eight. And the stuff that they're doing with real time as well, it's just going to be, maybe it comes together with headsets at some point too. And it really, really is something special. But in the meantime, like the games and stuff, they just look incredible. The results look great. It's fascinating technology. Uh, my, my son plays this dino, the dinosaur game, Path of Titans, on his Switch. 
And I, of course, limit him to what he can do online. But it, I mean, the one engine that can compress down to, you know, from the Xbox uh, X or whatever it is to the Switch to the iPhone, it's, that's, that's something, right? Especially when we're starting to think about, um, I know this is not in the dock, but the Switch 2 is allegedly coming out. Mm. And the, how about the VR Pro? Yep. The Vision Pro. A Vision Pro. I'm sorry. Yep. I know. I'm looking. That's why I'm. That's why I'm. It's like, and it's already so good with with version five. I can only imagine. That's why I'm. Uh, I'm all. I'm here for it, as the kids say. Oh, use app code by JetBrains. Better C editor. Well, Apple wants Xcode to write apps for you. Surprise, surprise! They want in on the game, and Apple has been granted a patent that outlines how machine learning models can be integrated into a software development system like Xcode. Just not going to work. <laughs> You're looking forward to it, I can tell. I've dealt with Xcode IntelliSense enough. If it's built on that, it's going to be like... They have to do this, though, right? Yeah, because of VS Code and because GitHub yes. Copilot. I get it. Yes. Just... Yep. They they have to make Xcode. If X, you know, this is this is part of being like a top-tier IDE, right? We should have just let Copilot into Xcode. What if their system... Because, you know, it's interesting they're talking about machine learning models what if they look over your own projects and it analyzes your own projects? Well, one, GitLab, we don't have them in the show notes because I was going to put it in next week, but GitLab is promising that very thing. Mm-hmm. That they'll look over only your own proprietary organizational code. But that seems like a route you could see Apple going, right? Especially because it's, they've got all those machines with the neural processors. They could just do it locally. Apple's not going to go that route. They're only going to support Swift. It's going to suck. Well, I, I bet you, or I'm going to make a bet. I bet it's like a combo. It is they have both something like they, they'll provide a already trained model of some of the most common, but then they'll have like your model that rides on top of that, that overrides the most common with your special kind of characteristics by analyzing your own projects. Locally. I don't believe it. I think they're only going to support Apple languages, maybe some JavaScript. I don't think they're going to be like, Here's- yeah, I could see them. I could see them limiting it to Apple languages. I could see that. It's it's just Apple's not good at this stuff. <laughs> oh, they're good at it. They're just good at a way that drives you crazy. <laughs> I don't know if they are. Well, yeah, you might be right with developer stuff. Developers are third tier. In my Apple, in my Apple trifecta, right? It's Apple users, yep. developers. Yep. Right. Exactly. But then everybody else. Vendors are down there somewhere Vendors on the list. Suck Employees. They're like <laughs> yeah. Triple H. If And if you're old enough to get that reference, I'm so sorry. So the other thing that's coming out, and it's being reported as we go live today by multiple out- outlets. It, it, in the morning when I got up, it was one outlet. And now we've seen it confirmed by several. Uh, the Apple Vision Pro headset is getting a cut in production already. And this is a massive one. Apple is cutting production from 1 million to less than 400,000. Woof. Also, it seems like LuxShare might be like their single vendor. Or maybe they have, it looks like maybe two total China-based suppliers of certain components. And so, and for those components, they've only asked for 130,000 units. So this is coming from the supply chain. Um, And it's also interesting that the Apple Vision Pro seems to be sourcing from just two suppliers. They're all China. So they've just launched their biggest new product and they just went all China on it. <laughs> just a side note. Uh, but what, these numbers are massive. I'm shocked. I'm shocked at how much of a fiasco the production has been, if this is true, right? It is a massively complicated device. I mean, it's got 
the motorized lenses in there a dozen from 1 million to 400 that's a 60 percent failure rate yeah i mean the math is very simple right they gave us even numbers this is one though where if you're gonna go safe you go safe this way right and you create the reports of them being sold out so if you think you got problems i don't think they'd openly lie yeah i think this is a. Uh, I don't know. I, you know what? I keep having mixed feelings on the Vision Pro. I think they do too. I think they do too, right? That's, that's what's yeah. scary. I think this is their biggest risk ever since modern Apple. You know, it's everything that was wrong about the HomePod in, in a headset. They don't even know how you're going to use it yet, and they can't even build them properly. And they're, they obviously, they obviously are somehow some why some reason forced to price them outrageously too you know what i'm saying man like this is wow this is we're really watching them roll the dice it is fascinating to see i don't think it's going to destroy them or anything like that but you just don't ever normally see them just having it out there whipping in the wind like this i think they're going to release it i think it's going to be a developer kit i think it's just the price point right yeah yeah and that probably will gate the sales and yeah, who knows? Uh, I just uh, just thought I'd note it since it's getting reported by multiple outlets that they've already dramatically slashed the production numbers. Don't know if that's a bad sign. Maybe it's not. In fact, maybe Apple will spin it as a positive thing saying they sold out overnight or something. But it is what they do. Have, and they do have months to make them, too. Right. That's the other thing is they have they could they could announce it. A couple of months into 2024, three months into 2024 or something like that or later. And they could just extend the production time, but just at a more limited rate or something. So we don't really quite know yet how it'll play out. We shall see. But in the meantime, you know what I say. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. We got a nice little batch of uh, boosts here, I think, because we also have a little extended away time. Hybrid Sarcasm is our baller booster, though. So we'll start out right there. Hybrid came in with 61,923 sacks. He wanted to say hello, Mike and Chris, and also fellow hardworking dads. I wanted to boost in the birthday of my brand new baby girl. Keep that bacon frying. Well, oh, congratulations. congratulations. That's that's, sweet. that's really great. Yep. Happy birthday. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you also for thinking of us on the occasion, Hybrid. We appreciate your baller boost. Uh, Gearbred comes in, or Gearbird, G-E-R-B-E-R-A-D. Gearbird. All right, 55,021 sats. I might be struggling with the name, but I appreciate the sats. Hey, he says, I have an opinion. Homegrown frameworks are great. I think he's responding to Dave Jones uh, as they're easier to customize and you have in-house experience. But they also have, but they are also terrible. <laughs> okay. And they're hard to hire for. That is true. Uh, they're less robust and they get stale and accumulate technical debt. As a result, your app suffers. And it's hard to modernize. Ooh, it's a zip code boost too. Dave Jones, he's calling you out there. And I heard you mention recently you set up an automatic boost into the show. We appreciate that. I didn't see any message come along with it, but I wanted to give you credit if you did do that. And I'm wondering if you have a response to those outrageous slanderous claims about your beloved framework. Hey, hey. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty. I mean, I, I can't help but agree, though, I think. Uh, I think, uh, let's see, I'm zooming in on the Google Maps here, and it looks like uh, they're just south of uh, Minneapolis, mm. 
coming down uh, Bloomington, down 35 into Frerbout. Frerbout, if I'm following the map. I don't know if I, <laughs> I think that might be it though, Gabriel. Thank you for your thought provoking boost. Uh, I do kind of agree. I have to say the technical debt thing I have seen personally, I have seen that accumulate, but I also have seen them save so much time. Uh, Kershira, boy, I'm, I'm sounding like an expert today. Comes in with a row of McDucks, a big old set of 22,222 sats. Quacka waka, it's a treasure. Yippee. Using Podverse, they write, I'm, I'm not likely to get the Apple Vision Pro because of its limitations. I'm going to wait till one of its competitors drops something better without locking me out of using most of the hardware I paid for. I may be an old man yelling at clouds, but I'm tired of this sort of thing. I'm tired of getting locked into platforms. I do feel the fatigue. I feel you, my friend. I feel that way. I, I, uh, I, I am just, this is not really the same thing, Mike, but I am so slow to use all the different launchers. Like if I can, I'll, obviously I'll buy it on steam first or humble somewhere or good old games somewhere where I don't have to use a launcher. Cause you can still get to buy it on good old games. Uh, but like, I don't want to have an Epic launcher and I, I don't want to have an EA launcher and I don't want to have an EA store and an Epic store. And you know, I just hate this so much. And they all feel like platform lock-in. Everybody figured out how to set up a streaming service and a CDN, I guess. Now everybody's got to have a paywall. Adversary 17 comes in with 20,000 and one sets. All right. B-O-O-S-T. Uh, it was actually across two booths. Uh, in regards to social media, I went cold turkey a few years ago. Deleted my accounts on the bird, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and have them look back. The only online communication I keep are the JB Matrix rooms and a few Discord instances. Mostly with close friends. It was just too much of a chore to keep up with it all. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but there was a noticeable gap where I wasn't doing anything throughout the day, but that quickly got filled with other hobbies, hobbies, I should say, and I am much happier. You do find, you do find um, something else to do with the time. I, uh, I did two things kind of recently that I thought were really good. I, I stopped going to Reddit with their API changes. And when I want to go like just kill a minute and watch a video, I'll now, instead of opening up YouTube, I open up the fountain app because they have this activity page in there where you can see people boosting and what, you know, clips of podcasts. And I'll just kind of go in there and sample clips and stuff and discover and follow people, figure out who's posting good stuff. And I'll follow people and I'll listen to clips of podcasts. And I find the signal there is so much higher than anything I was going to get on YouTube. And uh, it took a while to make the transition, but I don't miss it. I prefer the new system. I know you're a big TikToker, so I'm not going to try to talk you out of it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I dance. And uh, Do you have a TikTok account? Do you actually have a login? I do not, I do not I either. Do not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really understand what TikTok is for still, but we'll let that go. Uh, I, you know, for invoking ADD inside people, I think. Uh, Altera the Blue comes in with 4,000 sats using Fountain. I'm just trying to get the booth sorted out and working, but I'm glad I did. I hope to hear more of Coda Radio in the future. It's my favorite JP podcast. Well, thank you. Appreciate the boost. And thanks for working that out. The journey can be treacherous depending on the route you take and the capriciousness of the financial institutions. But when you get there and it's set up, the plumbing exists and it's straightforward. Appreciate it. Scott comes in with uh, 3,210 sats. Here's some sats for Linode leaving. Let's hope you uh, fare well, regardless of sponsors needing to tighten the belt. Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for thinking of us and using Podverse to send in a boost. And then our last couple. We had a couple extended ones because we were gone for a little bit. We got uh, 
10,000 from Anonymous saying the headset's going to be gimped just like the iPad. And then uh, Ben Ben Simcox came in with 16,405. Here's a monthly subscription boost. Hope your trip was uh, a good time. It was. I had a very good trip. Thank you. On the topic of spiraling out of Twitter and Reddit and the alternatives on social media options like Mastodon or Noster, I often think many folks might benefit from getting off social media entirely. I quit all social media in 2016 and I don't miss it at all. If anything, viewing it on all the outside for a while has totally eroded my desire to participate at all. That's true too. Once you leave and you look at what's going on, you're like, oh God, <laughs> I don't want to be involved in that. Uh, and our last boost comes in from Purple Dog with 15,000 sats. Coming in hot with the boost. Using Podverse. Uh, I won't be getting a Vision Pro because I don't use anything from Apple. I've been trying out Lemmy this week, and I think most of the issues you mentioned are just a lack of users. I had the same thoughts about instances I should join, and maybe I should spin up my own, maybe I should host as a user, etc. Uh, but it did help me wean off of Reddit, though maybe I'll just replace it with nothing eventually. I never use Mastodon, but then I never use Twitter either. Really just boosting to support the show. Well, thank you, Purple Dog. We appreciate that. Uh, we had a few other boosts below the 2K cutoff threshold. And in total, the show brought in 209,482 sats this week. I'd love to get that above 500 next week if you're out there and you want to support us. It was a total of 12 boosters across 15 boosts in total. Thank you, everybody who boosts in. You can do so by getting a new podcast app at New Podcast Apps. You heard Podverse was mentioned and Fountain in there. Or you can boost in and keep your app. Just get Albi. That's a web browser extension. You top it off either from like the Cash app or directly inside the Get Alvi extension. And then head over to the podcast index and boost in. Or, of course, you can always become a member at CoderQA.co. And thank you, everybody, for sending in your feedback at Coder.show slash feedback. Your emails are a great way to kick off the show. We always appreciate that, too. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the peeps before we get? No, nowhere. I would say go to Atsubaduko on Twitter or, the, you know what, go to Chris'sHairIsGreat.com. <laughs> uh, and if you want to invest in Mike's uh, startup AI company, you know, get a hold of him. He's usually on the Matrix, coder.show slash Matrix. That'll send you over to our chat room and you can hang out in there. Maybe you'll be around when we're live sometime. You never know because we stream the show live on Mondays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at TV. Links to what we talked about today are coder.show slash 525. You'll find that contact form we mentioned over there as well as our RSS feeds and links for a lot of common apps, too. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program, and we'll see you right back here next week.